right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. Uh, it's, it's been some interesting times lately, but again, I'm here with Kai. Uh, we have a guest today that I'll let uh, Kai introduce. Um, oh, Kai, your camera was... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> go ahead, buddy, jump in, jump in. All right, all right. Uh, welcome back, you guys. We're just sort of really just taking a... Another little break from uh, doing all the monitor stuff and um, trying to make another episode for you guys. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in and everything like that. Today we got Grant. Uh, how do you spell your? How do you pronounce your last name again? It's a uh, Macadow, right? Macadow. Yeah. So I make sure that um, you uh, capitalize that A. All right, Alan. Yeah, Macadow. <laughs> all right. Uh, I got it. I got it. All right. Now, um, now as far as. Uh, Grand, uh, I've been what in communication with you for maybe the last year or two, right? About uh, a lot of the, I would say about uh, two years. Uh, yeah, grasshopper stuff. Um, and so yeah, you're uh, getting into a lot of the cool species too, and I'm pretty sure there's always a lot of questions that you want to ask. Um, and I can't always get to them. I try to, but um, we'll try to post them here for some of the people that may have relatable questions. Um, but yeah, man, if you feel like giving a little introduction about yourself and what you keep and stuff like that that'd be great uh, uh my name's grant uh, i originate from uh cincinnati ohio uh i got into reptiles i want to say four to five years ago but i was into all sorts of animals i mean i've had foxes rats all sorts of stuff so i've been in the animals probably for the last 10 years uh what i currently keep is all over the spectrum uh i have seven different species of varanids and then i have five or six other species that i keep uh anywhere from small little horned lizards that can be six inches long anywhere up to uh dwarf caimans and schneider caimans oh nice nice it's a pretty wide uh wide collection there i, I wondered what you couldn't find in a pet store <laughs> Been there. That gets you in trouble. That's nice, man. Um, so yeah, I, I know that you had some questions regarding like um, you know, nesting and stuff like that. And I try to get get you answers over the phone a little bit. But um, yeah, maybe we could get into those or whatever questions that you really had um that you think other people might be able to relate to. You know, we can uh we can definitely go over those. Well, so Lately with the nesting, why that has become a big thing for me at now is I have already a pair of Asian water monitors that are roughly three and a half, four feet long. So they're getting there. Uh, and then on the way that I should be getting here in the next month or so is a pair of pastel Dorianas from uh, right. Robert Harrelson, which right. this were originally imported by Chris Foley. Yeah. So, yeah, those are nice animals. I know which ones you're talking about. They're very nice. I'm looking forward to them. Now, I already own one of my own Dorianus, but it is, uh, I'm not familiar with the locales, although I'd like to get more familiar with all the locales, even if it's but, just a setup for even more advanced keeping. It's more mm -hmm. of the typical blue tail, right, that you have, the first one? Yeah, the typical is what I already own. And then what's coming in is the orange spot pastels. The female for sure is pastel. I don't know about the male. Yeah, they call those darker ones either like sarong or something like that. Um, I totally forget exactly too. Don't get me wrong. Um, 
not all the 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 indicus localities are what they say so <laughs> yeah we can't really go by some importer stuff we kind of have to right. do a little bit more fishing and things like that but um yeah sometimes they lie to you you know just to tell you something like that or maybe a store or whatever or even they'll look it up and the internet will say something and really it's not it but um, what they just gone off with those markers and things like that but yeah, yeah man, the, true, the dorianists yeah. are uh are are a really cool thing I, I wish more people would um you know put their foot into it and and really focus on the couple species that are really hard to breed and there's not too many big adult dorianists out there so to get to see what those pastels really look like in five years from now that's a that's a hard one i, I haven't seen too many big big adults I think the only ones I've seen uh, Anthony Zanes has, uh, as far as the uh, adult pastels. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Hannibal has uh, has Hannibal Coalfield has um, has a nice, a really big tame one, um, but that's really nice too. Um, but yeah, yeah, man, not too many more that I've seen that are tame like that, and yeah. Uh, I wonder where all those an animals that Anthony had went, you know, since he's been out. Um, I know he kind of slowly got rid of them to other people, but uh, there was a couple couple animals he had that were extremely docile that if you were to plug and play with that animal, um, it'd be a, a great additive to your project. You know, he was a tame male, wasn't, wasn't ugly or dark or crazy mean or anything like that. He was actually quite gorgeous. Um, and if utilized, you probably would have been a great, great animal to use, um, to work with, uh, cause you know, breeding the Dorianus and things like that. I think some people think about it like other, other, like Ackies or not, not to say that people just are thinking that, you know, they're easy like Ackies, but they go into it with kind of that mindset where like all these other monitors are very similar so i'm going to try these same tactics and um mm -hmm. there's not a lot of tactics to use so i understand why they're going to utilize what's already been you know given um and what's already been used for other species but what you want to realize with these like deep jungle monitor lizards like ruticolis or you know other types of mangrove types man they basically are really hard to really hard to get down really hard to track in the wild really hard to to watch and do things and then even in captivity they kind of translate to you know you've seen how shy some of them are you know they hide and hide and hide and hide you yep. basically it makes it very difficult for us to really observe anything um so it's a balance man between sure giving them a nice cage but also really working with them and getting them used to you getting them used to each other um if you can get that part down everything else is kind of simple you know the breeding and and the 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 laying all that it's all you know that's all built in later but the actual cohesiveness or compatibility between the two animals you want to work with like though they can seem fine when they're young but man when they're like partially sexually mature or they want to prove themselves then all of a sudden it changes again and then you gotta have to teach them what to really what to, how to really do things um so yeah man it can be really tricky getting getting to breed dorianus or any of the, these harder mangrove types you know um and yeah it's uh it's a tough one i, I wish more and more people would are going to be jumping into like you guys because you guys have 
a fair amount of Dorianus now between the two of you. So it'd be, uh, be something to see in the next couple of years, man. Maybe not in two years because they'll be barely sexually mature then. Um, most of the Indicus complex stuff doesn't really mature until a little bit later, maybe like two, three years. Now, is that... Kai, in your experience with yours, is that maturity as far as actual sexual maturity or size-wise? Um, I've gotten them to size, and they uh-huh. still, are, still aren't ready. Gotcha. Um, I was yeah. asking because minor, um, specifically the the younger two, are just like exploding in size right now. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's when you're looking at it, when the pattern is basically done fragmenting. Mm-hmm. They're sort of not done growing, but they're they're there now. Okay. That's, that's where I'm looking at it. When my animals are basically completely done with a black pigment separation, and they're onto the last couple stages of the oncogenic uh, pattern changing, right? Yeah. Uh, once that fully spreads, I think they become more mature. But that really that happens all along with the size growth as well. You know, they're going to hit three feet, four feet. Um, some will even hit five feet without a problem. So I really think the two to three foot mark is like sub adult, you know, Okay. barely, barely there. So, um, don't get me wrong. They can possibly lay eggs, but I don't find most, I find most of my Indica stuff, not really viable until a little later. Gotcha. Like the Kimberly's and Aussie stuff, man, I found ready to be breeding within the year right something mm-hmm. like that year year and a half um some even sooner like Aki's is as young as eight months argus as young as eight months um but with uh the mangrove stuff yeah i've had a way i've, I've looked at it in a year and the animal is still pretty small so what, what am i yeah. going to do you know and i don't stunt them i feed them steady so you know there isn't to say that i'm just holding them back from what they have as potential you know um and uh I'm not rushing. You don't want to rush them into breeding like for like just by feeding them a ton and you know expecting these results. I just hang on to them as pets, you know, hang on to them for a while, get to learn them. It takes a long time, you know, Grant, um, most people take a year or two. They put that as their their goal set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time frame, you're possibly just growing stuff up, you know, so that first few years is is just learning, you know? Right. Spectating. Right. And so when people think about it, it's that's a six to ten year project if you're already waiting two to three years just to get to breed, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be several years just to learn the whole process, plugging them in. Me right now, I'm all, I'm taking the time just to plug them in, you know? Um, I got them probably as sub-adults from Michael Cole, um, they're small, so they're kind of mature a little bit faster since they'll hit that size faster. Um, but yeah, they're not really doing much until they're two to three years old. And, um, and then, then there's, you know, a few more steps after that to really get them to, to lay, but that's a, another small topic, you know, when we're, when you're there right now, it's really just compatibility between the animals that you do have eventually. Yeah. I'm trying to look up some some uh, old uh, or Dorianus pictures of adults. Um, yeah, it's not that many. Yeah, no, no, it's hard to see them. And honestly, I think they they what we think sometimes is the younger pastels. They actually do change 
again. Yeah. yeah. And get some of those darker colors back, uh, the blacks, but it, it's, it's not as like, it's the base color anymore. It's the, yeah. um, it's, it's the like fragments. a spider web. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I call it the matrix of the patterning. Right. Right. And so maybe we're just misrepresent or misidentifying them as far as the, you know, we see them come in as babies and juveniles with this really intense pastel on them. And then we don't make the connection in their adult form that, okay, these are the same animals. It's just yeah. they're, you know, this is how they yeah. look as adults. So maybe there's a little bit of that going on. Yeah. So um, what's weird is all right, the most of the all like, Peach throats or Dorianus or Indicus, uh, Melanus, all of them are born really dark with uh, little yellow spots, right? Or little dots. Yeah. And then those, the dots that you see are going to be the sheen that appears over the animal, right? The color that it throws off. Um, and then the black will fragment into the rest of the pattern. And then the color that comes underneath. That's what the animal will look like on the normal. The sheen comes from, I don't know how that applies to the pattern later, but it basically stays and it just becomes a glow in the scales when you're looking at it at certain angles. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, um, what I take from the patterning after watching so many animals develop. Um, and then I think, oh man, this patterning is, they're losing, they're going to lose the spots. The spots stay they're just fragmented very much smaller and then that pattern transfers to the rest of the scales it's kind of, it's really cool that's uh that's what i'm seeing now with some of those so um, that's why i'm asking i'm okay i'm seeing a kind of a second phase coming on uh, or yeah. maybe a third phase <laughs> I'm no, I've never, three phases yeah uh, i've never really seen dorianus do the full full change like later on i've had raised a couple um, but man, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's so different. And then you have like the orange spots that kind of keep those spots a lot more, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, the other, then, then there's totally different types of looks of Dorianus. I think there's several that come into the United States now. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, if you want to see that, uh, big adult pair of pastels, Anthony's been very active on his YouTube lately and he posted a video of adult pastels with their, oh, good. Good they got their deeper contrast back. Oh, Anthony Sains or Anthony someone else? Zanes. He's back online? He's been very active on YouTube lately. In the last two weeks, he's posted three or four videos. Oh, so he's still alive out there? <laughs> yeah, he's been uh, posting his Dorianus and his Molinas. Uh, his name is Patternless Molinas. Huh. I, I, I thought he got out, man. I didn't even know that he still had those in there. Oh, last I heard, he was like completely out or something from other people. And he just sold everything. Well, I, I hope he is not because uh, I actually, you probably know from Cody, I acquired uh, the Varanus Obor from him. And it's a female and he actually got it from Anthony. And now I'm going to be looking to uh, get a male for it. Yeah, that's a tough, that's going to be another tough find too. They're, they're here. It's just really hard to get them. There's a few people that have um, there's one guy that for sure has a male, but he's so he's just different from the rest of us. Like he has it as a pet, you know. Um, he's always making uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, labeling it Varanus Obar, and then deleting it. You know, um, 
but he's out he's out there he's he's got like a he's like a living on a carpet set like a green carpet setup or something like that so if you ever see this type of uh instagram and you see the green reptile carpet on, on uh in the cages that's probably him but yeah he's got a male um i know guy Guy Montecalvo has a male, or he has a couple, or something like that. Now, the ones that are here, man, they kind of come in all a little bit different. They're not like some of them just look like uh, ugly melanists, right? And then, and then some, some of them really look like some look like really good old bars where they're pretty dark with the orange muzzle, like a torch monitor that really looks like it. And then there's there's the ones that have the calico face that we rarely get. Um, I don't. I don't think I've seen many in the United States at all. I've seen like one really light one, um, but I don't think it was the calico. And then they have the calico that's in United. I mean, the, the, that's in Indonesia that they won't see here. Um, and yeah, man, a lot of, a lot of odd stuff. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. Well, back to where I was at with the breeding and nesting and whatnot. So. I don't know if you're aware, I keep a lot of indicates these days, uh, that abnormal peach throat, the yeah. Mimolinus, uh, the Dorianus, though, and then I would say Obar falls sort of along the lines of the indicus. So yeah, it's, a, it's an indicus for sure. <sighs> so I'm definitely going the indicus route. I'll definitely be bothering you a lot for all of that. Uh, so the first question is, how deep of a substrate do you normally recommend when it comes to these? Uh, one foot minimum, but 15 to two feet seems like it gives them a lot more workable room. Um, when I talk about workable space, uh, I've had to do this calculations myself and I honestly, um, I don't know if they're right at all the way I'm kind of doing it, but I'm looking at the size of the lizard and then I'm basically utilizing its length. And then making sure that the nest bin is roughly double its length and then at least its length in width and then the same within height. Um, so if the lizard is two feet, my nest bins are roughly three to four feet long, two feet wide and two feet tall. Um, not everybody else is going to be doing that. Uh, but that's for me in the Indicus stuff, that's what works the best. Now, I was using these bins that were like 18 by 15 by 15, and the monitors themselves are now 24 to 30 inches. And they're basically, I'd say, n not happy with their, their bins. Um, although I you know, kind of copied the same technique and the same mathematics that I've done before with what I did with mangrove, like the Solomon Island mangroves, um, and try to do it with these guys. Now it kind of did work, but then they were having troubles with getting used to the bins after the second or third clutch. Um, I've noticed they'd go and go and take forever to lay. Now with these, um, in-floor heated nesting areas that I have that are no longer bins, they're basically going down and then laying and back up the same day without, you know, look without searching and taking hours and hours. So what they'll do is they'll go and dig, basically move all that, search around with their muzzle. If it's not good enough in temperature wise, they'll go to a different area, look around some more, move another 
mound of dirt. It could get tiring. They'll do it, but it'll get really tiring. Um, and so you'll then be seeing the animal in somewhat of complications. Maybe not of laying complications. It's just frustration. And she's just kind of like, all right, where am I going to lay? You know, they, they, they do this just figuring it out. But, you know, when these animals are honed into it and they seem to still have trouble, um, there's something up with your nesting. And so, you know, for me, uh, I've, I'm – going with this because i'm giving them the best option that i can at the moment which is basically a bunch of soil to to have options the biggest so, grading option right and so in the bin you know you're limited with just the left to right or side to side gradient um with much more mass and volume of soil and sand and water and all that with i have that's in the cage now without the nest bin they have you know from left to right, top to bottom, and all like front to back, all with a few feet to work with rather than just 18 inches back and forth, up and down, side to side, like in a bit. Um, so there's a lot, lot more options. And then I have a lot more workable space for myself too i can add more logs because in a bin you can only really add maybe one tube or so and then the rest of it is actual space for her to do stuff right um i put in tubes and stuff like that for them to lay into because it gives structural support for the nest bin so it gives them more comfort while they're laying and then it gives them more assurance on where they're going to be at and so they'll typically lay a lot better and faster um so it can be a little challenging it's really challenging to up and upkeep and maintain so if you have you know if i'm calculating i put in four or five bags of sand so that's 200 300 pounds already <laughs> and then that's a bunch of soil on top of that and almost not in the same amount of weight because the the same amount of the same sheer size and volume is still a lot lighter but you can just imagine how much soil is in there as well and then you've got a few pitchers of water a few pitchers of water all right and you're going and saturating that soil so it's like the stuff at the beach when you dig down you know um and so when you're turning that it takes a lot a lot of muscle you know when you're you gotta really shuffle it from one side and what i'm doing every month not only am i checking for eggs because i have to right um so i i I then dig it and I turn all the soil from what's at the bottom. I flip yeah. it and rotate it and then I add water back into it. If I think that it's not holding well enough and that's me checking it for the next month or two that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be leaving that alone. Um, so now are you bioactive? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. So I have a ton of, ton of uh, stupid racist beetles um and then i have some <laughs> are you not worried about any of those eating the eggs or no eggs no i haven't yet and i left some there so to see if they would and the eggs are still the, the bad eggs are still there yeah so, um they they haven't gotten down to them yet um but uh yeah i'm, I'm debating on doing something with getting rid of those buffalo beetles because god dang they're 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 crazy everywhere, man. Like, good. I'm glad that the poop's gone in a day, which is great. Right. And the old food is gone in a day, but man, they like. I'll turn off off the light, and they're like all over the cage because they they don't like light. 
and um, so they'll come out and and then let's say if the I like I drop a piece of chick or whatever on on the cage floor, man, they're just swarming all over it. So I realized just how many is in there, and there's just a bunch of micro mealworms. Yeah. <laughs> It might be hard, but something I found out that worked, and it's a lot easier for me uh, than you right now, is that I would take some of the smaller like containers that I have that I made the raise-up cages out of. Um, I could take those into the other warehouse and drop one of those no-pest strips in there, like cut it up, drop a piece in there, and I just let it sit for a week, come back, and all those beetles are dead. Um, so that worked. There's no animal in there, right? Of course, no animal. In there. There's not even an in animal right now in that side of the, the warehouse. So they're separated by like a, a solid wall. Yeah. Um, so there's no, you know, uh, contamination or exposure to the animals. But they do work in that sense. So um, I don't know if you could construct some kind of bin or something uh, outside where you could toss a bunch of dirt and throw these in there. And, you know, I don't know yeah. what this this works for me. But, what I um, wanted to do was um, I wanted to use either the D-Earth, right? Uh-huh. Um, that, that I forget what, what it even stands for, but it's um, – dang, I forget that word. But uh, it's it's called D-Earth, and it's soil, expensive soil that will kill bugs. So if I put it in there, it will also kill the isopods. I'm not too worried about the isopods because I can just easily reculture those, right? But – I'm worried that it'll do something to my monitor. So I have to really do more research on the D earth and if people have used it in their enclosure mm -hmm. without a problem. Um, and then my second thing, I wanted to create this little bowl that was an upside down dome, right? With a bunch of little holes on the, uh, it'll be buried sort of, but there'll be holes for the worms and beetles to get into. And they slide into the thing with food down at the bottom of it. You can't really get out. Capture, or they'll be like you know, smelly, bloody, whatever. Yeah. And, um, I'm hoping that it'll attract them to go into there, and that way I could take most out, and that way it'll be like a battle. But dang, I don't even want. I don't even want to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's crazy because they're. I don't know how these beetles get to everywhere, but apparently they're flying when they have a chance. And they'll fly to another area, and they'll probably they're probably smelling out whatever's dead, or like whatever poop or food matter is left around. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, man. But they're in every cage now, um, even the cages that are extremely dry. Like, I just I don't know how they live in there. Oh, and they can live for months too, yeah. without like any new food source. They can live for months, and they're. They're insane. They're yeah. I'm kind of impressed with them, but uh... yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't realize they they were this bad ever. Right. This yeah. This is. It came in with crickets and they never left. Yeah. Start introducing wild anoles. Yeah, they wouldn't even live. My monitors love anoles. <laughs> They're like favorite food because. Whenever I buy them by like the five ten count, they're they're gone in that day. You know what's usually, funny? Give it to my girls. I usually give it to the girls. The um, I've tried to test out other things like letting. I have brown and black widows everywhere. I've actually let them stay in the lizard cages because they don't seem to really bug the lizards. Yeah. Um, but they don't eat those buffalo beetles either. No. So, 
Yeah. So I'm like, what what the heck good are you guys for? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here if you're not going to do anything for me. At least catch them in your web and kill them, you know. But yeah. You um, know what's, what's really crazy? So I do have a spider that lives in one of my cages, right? Uh huh. It went down into the tray and it pulled up a piece of pinky and it took it back into its web with it. It was the most metalist thing crazy. I've ever seen, dude. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> I tried to get a video of it, but when I took it, the video is just so blurry because the cage is so dark. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, ugh. I just want to get rid of these beetles. And the real, the the sucky truth is that I'd have to get rid of freaking tons of soil, a whole ton of soil. I like right. your live capture idea because if you know anybody else with small lizard bearded dragons or small gamas, they would destroy all them buffalo beetles yeah do they the eat them oh yeah, yeah. They, they'll eat them they they eat the micro the the they eat the micro mealworms too yeah find a little huh. market find a little market for that sell them you, you yeah, can start selling them with your grasshoppers man <laughs> no nah, man do you think nasty. blue bellies would eat them because i'll go catch yeah. a ton of blue bellies oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah all right all right all right uh, uh, it's something to do to move on to that next question, heating as far as nesting goes. So I was recapping on a few of the videos you guys have done or podcasts, uh, one of them being with uh, Ryan McVeigh and the UV, how there's three different spectrums uh, for UV. Well, going through BioDudes just to see what he's produced lately, I uh, stumbled across the heating one. Are you guys aware of the three different heating types and do you utilize the different heating types um right now so i have like my own little ongoing experiment set up so i i'm using uh led uvb uh bolts i'm using um uh the the standard like tube led tubes and compacts and then i'm also using um the what would you call them, like a mercury vapor type of heating and UVB bulb? Uh, so that's currently what I'm using right now. I don't have any, what do they call it, uh, the metal halide, halide uh, bulbs. I don't have that version right now. Um, but th those are the ones I am kind of using right now. Um, so some experience with them, you know. Uh, but what was the question specifically? Like, do they work or no? Uh, are you utilizing the three other like spectrums of infrared uh, types of heating? So there's uh, infrared A, infrared B, and an infrared C. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Infrared C is uh, mainly produced by CHEs and uh, right. heat projectors, and then the UV or the IRA and IRB is by halogens or incandescents. But through that. BioDude video, he recommended halogens as they produce the most UVA and UVB usable and very little UVC, which is basically like a heat that doesn't heat the core is what he was saying that IRC is. Gotcha. So um, for the, the heating bulbs themselves, I, I do use a lot of halogens, uh, almost specifically. I do have a few of the CHEs, um, and I do use them in some cages or on top of some cages. Um, so I, I would say for the most part, it's just halogens. The reason I use the CHEs right now is there's a few animals I have at the house. Um, I want to keep some heat in there without any light because usually they're in bedrooms. Um, so what that CHE will do is it not only um, 
like a halogen is going to focus the the heat down that amount of heat um the or that spectrum of heat the che kind of radiates heat in every direction even if it's in a dome so i use that specifically to heat up um the i would say the general area just around it not only going yeah going into the cage but to increase the ambient in that portion of the room and um so like at the house in in my kids room that's what's on at night it does keep the ambient up directly under it but also i have uh, gecko cages kind of stacked around in a way and uh like little um tubs of gecko eggs and i'm just using that ambient because it's there it's you know five degrees um hotter than the rest of my kids room and uh so i i use them in different applications for the most part i stick with halogens um i haven't messed with the deep heat projectors yet uh, I might, but uh, so I do believe that the CHEs do have a place. I believe a lot of people don't use them in the best way or use them in a, a wrong way. There can even be dangerous ways to use them. Uh, I never recommend putting them in like your standard cages. Always put them outside on top. Um, that being said, in a few of my really large cages, I, I do use them in the real cold parts of winter, um, but they're up high. There's no way for the animal to get to them. Um, they're kind of like secured further with chains and whatnot. Um, so there's, there's no chance of really getting a burn. I just use them in like big walk-in cages for that same reason. Cause there's a good ambient that I can put in the cage using that. So yeah. I don't know if that answers the question really, but, uh, halogens are my favorite. <laughs> it's, it sort of does. Cause, uh, halogens were actually recommended. So like, uh, in your UV podcast, it was talking about how wild cops can bounce back quicker offering the UV to them. Well, I've come to discover that offering the infrared A and B also helps them bounce back a little because they're able to get the deep penetration of heat into their core and it'll help them drive their digestive system. Like, so like with that wild cop peach throat for the longest time, I was honestly just doing uh, a T5 UVB with CHE and it was making no progress whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Probably about a week, ago, a week and a half ago, I added a halogen bulb in instead of the CHE and my Lord, it, it's changed. It's, I mean, just, it's, no longer basking forever like it usually did it is more willing to move around i guess it's also the extra uva and visible light in there yeah 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 i know what you're talking about and definitely they'll use a um the light that comes out of a halogen a lot differently i think they're uh really good for basking especially if they are on for a significant amount of time where they get to warm up that basking spot whether it's wood or slate, stone, something, um, I like to use, if I can, pieces of uh, tile or stone because um, after enough time with that basking bulb on it, it will heat up and it's slower to cool down um, also when the lights are off. Uh, so it can offer um, kind of that dawn and dusk type of uh, warm up and cool down. Um And that way the animal gets to not only get heat from the top, but once it's heated up, heated up, it can also get that belly heat almost instantly. So say you've had it out there for an hour heating up in the morning. Now that piece of slate is hot an animal can crawl onto it, get that uh, heat that's basically radiating still off of that. I don't know if it'd be radiation or convection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now that I think about it. Um, So it's getting that heat, but also the heat coming down from the top. 
the radiating heat coming down from the top. So it works really efficiently, where if you put your hand under a, a piece of Slater stone that's been under a CHE, it's not the same kind of warmth. You just have that general ambient, um, but not that focused uh, amount. And maybe that's because the construction on it. Uh, I'm sure if you were to really overbuild, like overbuild a dome that was insulated, of course, the heat would go in one direction. You know, it, it would come out of that, but you would have uh, a dome basically with an insulation layer around it. It would just make no sense for kind of the pet trade and what we're doing. Um, whereas the design, the natural design of a halogen is going to um, focus that heat downward. Um, now, to someone like Ryan McVeigh, he might have a different take on that because he's more of an engineer and really understands that stuff. But I'm just, you know, in, in my simple mind, that's what makes sense to me. Um, yeah. But now I do I do also use the, the mini halogens. And um, um, I really like those as well. You know, I have used standard bulbs, uh, you know, but I don't see the same... Uh, result i'm looking for in my animals i don't see them basking the same way they're great for again ambient to heat up uh and they can be effective in a dome but um yeah those halogens are my go-to definitely i haven't been using so last year i bought um i bought mercury vapor bulbs by a few types and i've used a few over the years but um i bought uh, mega rays and I bought Mega Ray Deep Dome Heat Projectors. Um, I, I like them if my cages were like six to eight feet tall. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the fact that they're so strong, especially the deep heat projector. My cages are roughly only three to four feet tall. And the heat projector used at the top of the cage when I was heating the surface temperature below it two and a half, three feet away was still 120, 30. So if you were at eight to 10 inches, that'd be nearly 170, 200 degrees maybe. And mm -hmm. so um, I noticed a little light burn on one of my mangroves as well. After using that projector for a little bit, and so I realized it just got too hot for the skin of my monitors. Um, and I took that out immediately. Um, and I realized that it just really needed to be used in, some, in a much larger enclosure. Um, then the mercury vapor, uh, the mega ray, I like that for the Kimberleys because the 70 watt was basically doing really well within their four foot enclosure. Um, but the 70 watt for me, without making the basking spot too close, it's only a good additive slight heat bulb. It's not great. It's not the greatest for surface temperature at all. Um, it's uh, further away from the basking spot just because you know, you're trying to not overdo it with the heat over UV exposure at the same time. Um, they can get kind of hot and you don't want to create a, a spot burn. Um, what I do with mine is I have, or what I did with mine, because I don't have them anymore, but what I do with mine is I took them and I placed them and I used it in addition with another floodlight. Um, that floodlight at the same distance heated that 
log or basking spot so much better, um, even at a lesser wattage. So the Mega Ray 70 watt or 75 watt, whatever it was, um, that was really poor with surface temperature, but it did help a little bit with upping the ambient. And then the actual basking temperature with the floodlight right next to it was a lot higher, but the water was only 50, 40 and 50 watts. So I didn't really like that. I wanted the whole gradient underneath the bulbs to be 130 rather than it just being really spotty. And then it's 119, 120 over here. So I took those out and I eventually just swapped it back to my normal my normal game plan of bulbs, which was just floodlights. And um, uh, so I haven't been using UV for the last several months, maybe even almost a year now, um, after taking all the, all the, all that, all those products out. Um, yeah, just, it just didn't work out for me in the best way. And then winter came and I had to switch up my bulbs. And so, so you don't use T5s either. I have a couple in some cages, um, but I'm not like pushing UV at all. I just, if I, I want people to understand if they feel like using it and it's something that they feel like it's more beneficial for them. Um, I've kind of, we've kind of gone, gone over a lot in this, um, on this podcast, just the, just the varieties of people using and not using UVs and the results they get are, are just about the same. Well, I think you yeah. pushing all that calcium also, it helps mediate not having all that UV yeah, so I use calcium maybe 90% of my meals. And with the monitors, it's a little bit different than a lot of other lizards. So I get to um, help with that by utilizing the D3 within the, the dust that I use. Um, yeah, and I, 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 uh, I dust quite often. Now, I've gotten pretty good clutches so far without, you know, um, without UV. Um, and I... I feel like when I was using UV, I, I also got some decent clutches as well. So uh, I, I wouldn't really put it towards UV as being beneficial in fertility and anything like that. It may, it may help with the animal's overall health and stuff, but I, I, I wasn't I – don't, I don't think it, it's the key factor to having um, successful eggs at all. For me, it, uh, I still got ongoing um... – kind of experiments going on so right now something that i've changed up is uh i have a uh setup with some baby ackies where um they're not getting any uh uv but they are getting um calcium with d3 which i've used plenty of times so that's even though i use it i know it works like that i'm i'm just setting up that as kind of my my standard and then in the same cage from the the or i'm sorry in a different cage from the same clutch i am um i have uv and i'm not dusting anything and i'm doing this for my own experiment just to see what's going to happen so far between the two i don't see any difference um so i i do suspect that if i fed animals with no uh, UV, no kind of calcium dust or anything like that, that I would see a difference. I'm not willing to take that risk because I don't want to really endanger anything. Uh, as much as I do want to find an answer to this or I want to see what will happen, I still, you know, I, I hesitate because I don't want to hurt any animals. Um, 
but as far as uh, I, I think I'm doing this to see if there's just different ways to skin a cat, you know, and to see if both can achieve the same goal. Um, kind of like we're talking about bulbs, you know, we're talking about um, a halogen type of bulb. I'm sure somebody could accomplish the same task of heating an animal based off of something totally different, you know, whether it was a, um, say you had a, a heat mat with a piece of slate on top of it. And then, uh, for instance, a, a regular, uh, incandescent bulb or even a CHE, like I said, um, um, but you set it up in a different way where they could reach the amount of heat they needed to get. Um, I think there's just different ways to, to do accomplish the same thing. And I see that a lot as far as, you know, food items, uh, whole cage nesting versus, um, nest boxes. Um, even the type of substrate you use, um, you can accomplish, you can accomplish meeting the animal's needs in a lot of different ways. And I think this is just one way. I think they are such adaptable animals that they can, um, easily change and still be viable, still have viable offspring. Uh, they can, you know, amazingly enough, they can, um, at some point during their like evolutionary, evolutionary history, you could say, uh, animals move from possibly, uh, a jungle environment into a desert or vice versa from the desert where, you know, they had constant sun exposure into a deep jungle, something like a graze monitor, um, where now you have an animal that's eating fruit and, uh, is really cryptic in its pattern, um, and lives in a really dense jungle. And you got to wonder how much sunlight does this thing actually get, you know, and, um, how did it adapt? I just think they, they are such, um, wonderful animals that they, they have this wide range of tools they can go to, to accomplish their own needs. And one of the reasons I think, um, some of the, like the, the Indicus species have been so successful spreading out to these different islands where they're going to encounter different food sources or different coverage, uh, as far as, um, trees, shrubs, hiding places, uh, is because of this, this same adaptability that's kind of built into them. Um, and the same could be said for animals that do well in the wild and then us figuring out something in, in captivity, you know, um, we might not be meeting all their needs, but they're able to adapt to what we've given them. So it's just kind of a interesting thing that, you know, I like to play around with, um, going back to UV just to see if I can see a difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, yeah, I don't want to say that UV is like unnecessary at all. Um, it's just, I, I myself, I only use it in some of the cages and, um, not all the time. Yeah. Only when I really need to, like, um, I think what's weird is like my animals can do fine with it, but sometimes they respond really well to UV. Right. Um, and they'll go and bask underneath it or, uh, when I plug it in, you know, I, I'm seeing them utilize it. And then the overall look of the enclosure looks better a little bit. You know, it's just a little brighter, right? But then there's times where I'll plug in the UV and they don't like it at all. They're they're rarely ever around it because the UV amount is possibly so much. Um, the jungle lizards that I kind of have, they're not too much on the they'll bask but it's it's there's a lot of coverage around their basking area or they're more so of 
secret baskers once you're like encroaching too much or you come in the room they're basically disappearing on you and so they're you know they're they're very very reclusive animals um and so going back to what alan was saying like with like the graze monitors my my guys um although they're not a graze monitors they are a dense jungle monitor and the light you know as as we've <clears throat> discovered with some of the products that they're now putting out there like the the the, the jungle dawn type stuff or mm-hmm. uh ryan mix ryan bulb um, what's that one it's the his Detect. his, his. Detect, but what's his bulb called the 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 jungle one oh um i would have to look up the actual name of it but yeah there's a. Uh... Uh, I'll look it up right now while you're talking about it. <laughs> it's got three things for the scrupulous right. the 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 animals that come out at dawn and dusk, and then the animals that are more jungle type, and then he has a bulb that's more for like the desert baskers, like rhino iguanas and flavies yeah. or argus stuff like that. Um, and so you know we we're kind of understanding. All right, this is how they like it, right? And so for Okay, for my uh... first call for crepuscular animals, jungle cover for forest and shaded sunlight, and then midday blaze for the like the rhino iguana. And so for me, that's why I utilize those. Um, I use low wattage floodlights, right? And I also use I also use BR thirties and BR forties. Now, in the chameleon community, these are very popular bulbs because they don't burn and they allow the chameleons to come close without burning their cask on a hot on a hot spot, right? And so I've seen John using them. I've seen a few other people utilizing them. And then I asked, you know, why are you guys using these bulbs? It's because they're allowed to use them in shorter cages, roughly, and then essentially have the animals bask a little closer a fair amount closer they're only a few inches away from the bulbs <clears throat> and what i utilize these for is, is is to knock out the intense blistering heat that some of these other bulbs or or people and how they fashion the cages have i basically don't have a an in, I, the surface temperature is still 130 140 roughly easily 125 but the whole area is not some bright up lit up area that you know is um extremely hot that's that's mm-hmm. not what i'm trying to create um it is hot enough for them to have good thermal gradients but it's just not blistering hot they'll choose to sit on um wood over blistering tile right though um they, they they'll they won't sit on the blistering tile at all um they're so they're just different even though they all they're they're a monitor lizard and some people say that they're all kind of the same in a way you know um just biology biologically within how they're doing stuff as as species alone they're all just a little bit differently as well you know right um and so you you want to make sure that you're not just assuming what you've been doing onto one species and apply it to the next, like how some people have been doing to these harder to breed monitor lizards. Um, you want to try new things, you know. And so that's what I got with my monitor lizards as far as making them more comfortable, making them essentially happy with what they like. Because if I make them happy, they're they're gonna breed. That's that's really that's really it. Breeding monitor lizards. Is really not hard. 
they, they do it all themselves. It's the all the work that comes with it is what is hard. So in the case, most people just don't like hard work. <laughs> that's 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 the real case, you know. And so if people were to just not think about it, take care of them correctly, do all the what do we call that? Um, uh, it's, um, dang it. When you're doing it, and I wish I could come through, but I'm I'm drawing a blank oh, too. Man, it's like uh, I can't finish this. Labors of love, <laughs> right? La- yeah. la- the labors of love, right? And so this is what you do, and so you know, hooking them up and having them do the thing, and in twenty to thirty days they lay. It's, that's really simple, you know. Um, but applying all the other stuff, that's what's hard. Yeah. And so if people can apply it in all every single little thing well uh, so that's what i've come to realize is that if your monitors enjoy the enclosure they like the setup they like how you take care of them they realize that you are taking care of them you know they pay attention to you changing the water every day and how much you feed them the attention and stuff like that and then how how, how functional the cage is to them you know if it's not i've seen some monitors straight just be um like they hate the enclosure right and so they'll basically be really, really aggressive or defensive until they, they were moved in somewhere that they were more comfortable in. Um, and so when you get down to it, the lighting and you know, even the nesting area, which are really key factors, really need to be something that the monitors like. Mm-hmm. You can get those stuff hooked up and get them to – like you can be – that have surface temperatures and basking temperatures and let's say you know someone told you to keep the hot side like 130 right but you're actually keeping the ambient at 130 not the surface temperature you oh. can be you're, you're just way too hot you know or even at even keeping the cool side always at 80 that's sort of too hot sometimes okay um so if you're allowing the cage to drop down just a little bit and it'll naturally do it itself, if you were to allow the cool side to get to 70, 75, right, that the, the midsection that was once 88, 90 is now 82, 85, right? And then the hotter side that was once 95, 97 is now 92. Um, so if you work out your temperatures a little bit, getting them – where the monitors, it's okay, it's a balance again. They're basking, but they're not just sitting there all day, right? So that's those are good signs. And then if they're really active, but then still, you know, they're going back to basking and doing all that stuff, those are behaviors that you want. But let's say if the animal were to come out real quick, bask real fast, and then just hide because it's just so hot in the day, not really doing anything, that's not really good either. So I, I learned this watching pet stores. Some pet stores will kind of not heat their enclosures extremely hot just to bring out animals more. Yeah. Um, some zoos even do this as well, not to have so the animals are sitting there and they're visible to people that want to see right it makes the the experience a little bit what's what they paid for so they want to see an animal and the animals are drawn out more not all not all zoos but i've 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 seen this and i've heard of these techniques i'm applying what they really need which is the obvious 
great basking temperatures, but I'm I'm not having it so hot for my animals. Um, just like how some of these pet stores and what I just use examples as is zoos and stuff where they're having it where these animals are coming out more. So from for me, I'm applying all of these options that I'm gathering, not just you know what I think may work. I have to apply them all. So I'm applying as much as high gradient basking temperatures of 135, 140, all the way to the lows of 70 and 65 at nighttime. And um, my monitors do great. Choices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, if you are keeping your cool side 85, 80 something degrees, it may be a little bit too hot all the time. Um, I find that males go there. I have a male Kimberly now that sleeps right next to where the window hits the wood. The, the draft from the window hits the wood and it's like 60, 60 something degrees. And I, I just tested it last night when I was um, hitting it with my gun and just, uh, you know, just, just checking up on your animals, what they're doing. I have, yeah. uh, I have all, most of my cages on the floor still only a couple of them that I just recently raised up off the floor so I can add, add heating elements underneath. Um, but um, yeah, the, my male, like little Ermius, he sleeps underneath a lot of the um, the flats that I have and that floor is currently still 60 something at nighttime 70 degrees and so they're chasing it they know how to find it they dig for it or they go to it um, and uh, I think it's good for them you know hope that helps <laughs> alright uh, I guess we can move on uh, so at what point do you start introductions? Is there a huge size from, difference? From that's very Is there, well, I mean, just about any of them. Is there like early age then on just do a weekly introduction or? Uh, all of it. So I kind of, I'll kind of explain or you can, if I um, lose, lose train of thought, but for the most part, I'll explain every size. Okay. You, what you don't, what you don't want to do is introduce them as adults, as strangers. That's not what you want to do. All right. Um, you can, and you should be around for that if you need to. And that's your only options because you bought two adult animals that are strangers. But if you have young animals and you're going to be working with them, get them introduced right away. Immediately. Yeah. <clears throat> they need to know what they're like before they're sexually mature. So they'll go through right now if you get the stuff from Rob, right? And um, they're basically going to be big babies still, barely even juvenile, right? Because <clears throat> their pattern is barely fragmenting. It's still black and there's still big spots. So it hasn't changed too much yet. They'll actually even look prettier in another few months. But um, from baby stage, it's the fighting over food and fighting over basking spots and little random stuff like that. And not all the time will they even fight because they're still so young and they're not really much size of, of impression or anything like that. Right. You might have some really aggressive animals in there, but you know, they'll, they'll kind of sort themselves out or you'll separate them to yourselves because they're not going to be breeding at all. Right. And they'll get into the sub adult stage and this is the, actually I'll go into the preteen stage first. So you're getting, you're going to go into the, that large juvenile baby, but not yet sub-adult. 
They are very aggressive at this stage. <laughs> figuring them out, figuring themselves out. They're getting more size. They're learning what they are, you know. Um, and so this is just like any other teenager, even human teenagers. Pretty, pretty rebellious. Yeah. Kind of, you know, stuff just just what you'd picture in a normal time, right? Um, just learning the ropes still, right? And then they'll get into the sub-adult stage where, you know, they're sort of now getting to the point where they're going to be locking up, breeding, and, you know, they're leaving the preteen stage. They'll still have some of that aggression, but they'll need to work it out. And that's what your introductories and keeping them together will teach them. Now, if they're extremely aggressive, you see me utilize my cage partitions, right? The cage partition is a major lifesaver for your animal, for yourself, or however you want to think about it, for time, for you not being there, saves you when you need to separate stuff and things need to lay. Um, a cage partition, when you work it out, when you're building your larger enclosures, even if it's a juvenile one and you're raising them to be sub-adults, right? And it's just a medium-sized cage. Partition it if they're aggressive. If they're nice, then fine. Just have them do their thing together. But if they're aggressive towards each other, you need to have them learn each other. Um, like when Ermius was barely a year old and he was only about 24 inches, right? But he was... I still needed to train him. I still needed to teach him what to do with all the girls. And he was still ripping them up. He was biting them. He would mount them in aggression. Mm -hmm. So what I had to do was build the cage partitions. Once I build the cage partitions and I put him in there as a bigger juvenile, slightly sub-adult, leaving his preteen, right? In a week or two, he learned. He learned that he couldn't get through the thing. He learned that he couldn't just rush anything anymore. Now it's slowly, all right, this this lizard's on the other side, or it's within my vicinity, but it's not killing me. And so they're going to calm down a little bit. They'll get to know each other and hopefully basically get to the next step, which is being compatible within the same cage, within the same space. Now, um, now little Ermius is two years old. Fast forward a little bit. And um, he's now a bigger sub-adult. Not exactly an adult, but he's there. He's breeding, and he's no longer biting females like that. And he knows how to just do the regular head twitches. And rather than doing anything crazy aggressive, um, and if they are, it's typically the other one being mean to him. And he's really good that he just backs off and does something. Nice. Um, and so with the cage partition, it'll give you only – you're limited on a couple things because you're also limited because they can't get to each other if they really need to, okay? And that's that's the breeding time. So if they really need to get to each other and they can't get to each other, well, then a lot of your, a lot of your stuff is then going to waste as well, all your efforts, right? So for me, it's like you have to uh, – Scared money don't make no money. Right? So um, I have to allow the female to get to the other side or I have to allow the male to get to the other side. So in my cage partition, I have a little latch door that I lift open or I unlatch and I allow them to go back and forth. Um, I only do this when I think she's cycling. 
and I see that she's doing the belly thing, and I fed her a lot. She seems to just look so big, right? And um, then I think I'm cued in. Those are my signs. Right now, this female just laid. Those, those eggs weren't good, but I pulled three eggs out of the ground last week. And so right now, even though... Well, what I, what a lot of people do would maybe enter the female back in. I'm leaning out this female, so that way she's gonna be prepared for the next time I give her some crazy protein and um, fat bomb. Okay, whenever I do that next, um, hopefully she'll be triggered again. But what I'm doing is keeping her so lean, even after she just laid. Right, I'm feeding her very small meals. A ton of calcium on those meals so she still is getting sustenance back into her but she's not preparing for a whole nother clutch right and so now what i'm doing is waiting for waiting for them to i guess they say you'll know you'll know you know when the male is ready or you'll know when there is time because they'll be relentless at getting to the other side Yes, they'll be, they'll be digging and digging and, and ripping at the cage, and this thing is pulling out the, the metal, um, you know, bending, literally trying to bend through the little latch door because he knows that's how to get in, you know. Um, and so I I try to pay attention to that, and if those are the signs that they're giving me, then I'll unlatch, you know. Um, don't get me wrong. I've unlatched it and she went over there and he also ripped off her tail one time. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not always is, is these, these signs that I'm telling you are for sure. Sometimes I could have misread it and he wanted to kill her, but I let him, I, and I let him in, you know? So, um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, if the female is really nice and thick and fat and she seems to be doing all these signs and the male's getting over there and they're not fighting and he's not biting her, then okay, leave them. But if they are, those, these will be the signs now, more signs for you, okay? So if they're, again, fighting or he's biting her and there's blood and stuff involved or a lot of tearing, you don't want, you don't want that. So pull him out or scare him back to the other side or whatever you need to do and lock that thing back up. You know, real quick, I don't know if something changed, but I'm hearing a lot of like uh, distortion or feedback. Uh, uh, I have through. no idea. Maybe did you, Grant? Did you change anything? I put a charger in my phone, so my phone didn't die. Oh, uh, that that actually might be it. But um, if you got to charge your phone, you got to charge your phone. <laughs> um, you know, something Kai touched on is um, that teenage phase is usually when I've seen some weird aggression or uh, weird behavior. And I won't say it's weird. It's probably actually normal to them. Um, but we have, you know, uh, we, we're we dealing with the constraints of captivity. We have walls on our cages. We're out in the wild. An animal could just run away into another hole, be out of the area. Uh we don't allow them that. So um, we take that away from them just by nature of captivity. Uh, recently, I kind of got, I don't argue a lot on the internet, just so people know. Um, but I, I posted a, uh, a picture of, um, I had basically this tile that was covered in, in blood because I had two young Tristus that have been raised together their entire lives. Um 
from from hatchlings and now they are starting to go through like uh, their normal reproduction events so but that first time that they showed interest in each other what i assume happened is that the male bit onto the female's hand and basically drug her into a cork tube and i don't know if she went willingly very much at first or if she didn't know what the signs were but hills have eyes uh, right there yeah <laughs> so but he bites her and he drags her in there um now when i get to it when i walk into the warehouse i see this blood covered tile but there's no weird smells coming on there's not an animal sitting out in the open something that i you know stressed out looking so when i actually go to look for him i look and i can see them locked up in the cork tube so I posted this as just kind of information for people to take into consideration that sometimes not everything goes as planned. Not all these animals are robots um, and to not freak out sometimes. Sometimes this is within the realm of what can happen and to them, normal behaviors. You know, um, we don't see it a lot in a lot of varanids. But if you pick something like um, certain snakes, certain other other reptiles, I mean, it's pretty aggressive breeding behaviors they display. You know, they'll drag somebody by the neck, pin them down and, and do what they need to do. So uh, what I was trying to point out to people is like, hey, don't freak out. If you see these kind of stuff, you're in a van- your animals are their own individuals as well. OK, you can have a whole range from the really docile animals to the really aggressive animal. And when they go through these different changes in their lives, going through puberty or whatnot, and then to um, being first-time breeders, um, you'll even see how breeders change from being first-time breeders into more conditioned breeders. They, it's like business. They know exactly what they're doing. Nobody's messing around. Um, they look at you, even like experienced breeders, you can open up a cage and they look at you like, uh, you can go now, like, leave us alone. We're doing our thing. And then, you know, um, they know their roles, but that first time breeding, especially in the, the females, sometimes I notice they don't know exactly what they're doing. The male is just excited and yeah. yeah. And then the, the females will go and they'll, they'll lay a weird clutch. Sometimes they'll nest weird. They'll lay eggs on the surface. Um, they might lay in two different spots. Um, but then you'll notice in two to three clutches down the road, everything's streamlined. You know, they know exactly what they're doing. So and the argument I got into was some people freaked out as far as if I saw that, you know, basically I'm abusing my animals. And I'm, I got upset because I'm like, this is within the normal parameters of what these animals are capable of, what could happen. You know, uh, nothing's wrong with the animal. Her hand's fine. It was bit into, but it's I didn't even treat treat the the hand because yeah. it's back to fully being functional you know if, you, if um, you're scared of blood a little bit of blood breeding monitors probably ain't for you right i would say don't don't freak out when you see this kind of stuff when you see these behaviors don't rush to separate but you do risk like kai said he had an animal bite the tail off another animal i have had animals um be aggressive with other animals They've gone on to um, stress an animal out so bad that it died. That has happened in the past. Other times, they worked it out and they're breeding. So um, it is a chance that we have to take in captivity, and there's no easy answer for it. Unless you can sit in the cage 24-7 and control what your animals are doing, that's nice. But 
Um, you know, in, in the situation of Kai, um, I guess I'll bring this up for you, Kai. I don't mean to pee on your parade, but uh, um, with some of the only animals in the U.S., you know, you have to, in the attempt to reproduce these animals, let them be there themselves. Let let these things occur so that you can reach the end goal and the whole hobby can now benefit from the progress that Kai's making because he took the chances to do that. You know, scared money, man. Don't make no money, man. Exactly. And he's writing, he's literally writing the book or writing the guide on how to do this for the rest of us. We can't treat these animals like Aki's. They're Indicus. They have a whole different set of um, behaviors and habitat that they utilize where they do their thing. Uh, they probably don't live in a colony like Aki's do out in the wild. And yes, people, Aki's are colony animals. <laughs> yeah, they, live, uh, they live within the same. They live, right. They're like pollard lizards. They they kind of live without around a rock, you know. And yes, a bunch of them. I mean, the simplest thing is one giant rock slanted against a little rock under the sun with some soil, and that's all the setup yeah. that they need. Go look that's there. All they need. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you know, not not to. I didn't. I didn't mean to sound clunky when I said scared money don't make no money. But what what I what I really mean to say is, you know, if I was to say no or put a halt on the project every single time they bid each other, or quit every single quit on a male every single time that you know it got rough, or quit on a female just because I thought she wasn't compatible, right? Um, I, I wouldn't be anywhere. I, I, uh, I have failed and luckily I, I haven't killed too many animals, only two females over the years. Um, you know, but there's, it goes a lot with this and, um, it's really, it's not for anybody that is looking to just do this part time or whatever. It's, it's going to utilize your attention. Your free time goes here. You know, your calculations and how you do stuff, if you can compartmentalize well enough, go here. You know, um, when you're super hyper focused, that basically goes here. So learning, learning these monitors, man, the way I have been, I basically bought a bunch, right? Bought a few, um, maybe what, a, a dozen animals over the years, give or take and trying harder trying new things trying things like i said i mentioned this before where try to see what everybody else isn't doing and do that right yeah try that um like chilling them just chilling them out more i would have kept them like Aki's or how i kept argus before um, which is what i intended to do initially but then i had to learn that they like it a little cooler um you know things like that or getting down to the 60s and 50s at nighttime from some of my animals um even the kimberleys respond really well to 50 degree nights so i don't have an issue with uh, with trying new things as long as they're in control temperatures now i'm not telling you to just stick it out in the cold or or things like that but everything is a control at a, at, a, at a controlled base where you're allowing them to get to 60 but not get to 40 you know yeah um so it's it's it, it's, it needs to be somewhat of controlled as well um 
yeah, man, just trying new things, you know, uh, the cage partition, not a lot of people were doing that, even though it, it, it is, it isn't anything new. Um, you know, Mike, Mike Stefani's used it, uh, uh, John and, and Alex and them use it with their, their laces and their coming guy. And, um, when they had the Siminji project and stuff like that. So, um, really when you're thinking about it, man, it's like, some of these zoo techniques too are very very beneficial for us yes um it's just the way they kind of do things and, and organize things for treating you know um and so i i also when you see the behind the scenes at zoos it's not what it is in the out outside is pretty for you but behind it's it's a hundred percent math and science all around you you know yeah and um Everything is done a little bit differently. It's not so pretty, right? And that's where um, my cage partition comes in. It's it's not the prettiest of the setups. It's got this huge metal fence thing in there, and you know, but it works so well, you know, um, in in just in everything. So yeah, when you're when you're doing your stuff and you're doing Dorian and stuff later on, man, that'd be it'd be great. It'll it, work out for your old bar because I know your old bar aren't gonna be nice to each other. Um, it'll work. Oh, wait, hold, we got a special guest coming in the picture. Kai, you're not the only one with a cat anymore. Oh, nice. It's a, <laughs> it's a nice. It's a nice white cat. She's crazy. She's been bouncing off my walls. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a nice one. Well, shoot, I have, have a, we have a white cat like that up front. Her name's a meringue. <laughs> yeah, dude, Belle's. Uh, I bought this uh, cat basket for Belle. I don't. I don't think you can. You can oh no, you can't see it. But uh, it's the traditional basket that they have, um, like these, you know, stuffed kitties in that they just sell. Um, and yeah, man, she's actually been in that thing for days. Hasn't really. Nice. Happened. Yeah, yeah. For the podcast, <laughs> she's not bothering us today, man. Uh, uh, typically, she just sits right here and just waits for me to introduce her. Yep. You could say this is the first one out of like the last five that she hasn't made an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's my voice. That's what I think. She don't want nothing to do with you now. <laughs> yeah, man. She's resting. Uh, but yeah, getting getting back to uh, you know um, the just 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 when you're when you're getting to pairing off all your stuff later now all right you got a lot going on right um just accommodate for them all especially all the girls you know you, you're yeah. gonna have some males there too so um that are gonna get a fair size especially the dorianists um that become you know five foot animals so uh, that's a that's a lot of space and volume to to account for just make sure that it's uh you'll have it for everyone you know and you may you may end up selling some stuff to fund another stuff, but um, the ones that you are going to focus on, man, and like if it's the Dorianis or it's the the Peach Throat, if you can find another one like it, or if it's the Obar, yeah, man, put your foot in it, commit to it. It's gonna say, I, I yeah, I got my foot on a few species that I'd like to fully charge after the Dorianis, uh, Melinus would be nice, the Obor. Uh, I wouldn't mind having a little army of Kimberleys. I mean, you got me my <laughs> first one. I'm looking for my next one, you know. Yeah, man. Whenever you're ready. You're awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> back on that introduction side, uh, at what point is 
size actually a big factor? Like, uh, when is the contrast too big that you don't even try to introduce? Like, well, if you introduce a new juvenile male to an adult female just to test the chemistry. Yeah, you'll have to test the chemistry. You have See to that? let it. Yeah, that's, I've introduced um, pretty proportionally um, very different sized animals together. Um, small males to larger females because uh, males, you know, like Ackies, whatnot. Uh, I'll throw a six-month-old Aki in male with a year old female or a year and a half old female, no problem. Or even older than that, an adult female. Um, Savannah monitors. Um, I threw my female in, uh, she was, you know, half the size of the male when I threw, he's an adult male, um, but they were compatible. So what I, I learned was confidence. Yeah. That, that, uh, in, Oh, she runs both, the show. In, in both <laughs> animals, right. So, yeah. Confidence in both animals. Sorry to cut you off, Alan. Um, no, no. Um, but, like uh okay um i'm trying i have very very many examples because i've learned that confidence is a big thing and i just learned that right now with one of my kimberleys so i have two sizes of kimberleys um <clears throat> one or more like 18 inches she's only like maybe two feet max right mm -hmm. and then i have a very large pair which is uh, the male is is alan's male or a male that we share and then I have a big female that goes with him, okay? <clears throat> and I also have another small male that goes with that smaller female. So my two pairs. And sometimes I try to interchange the males, right? So that way I just, you know, spacing out the bloodline, all that stuff like that. And, and it's something new, and they typically respond to that really well. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll add, especially when I add the bigger male to the little girl. But not all the time is my little male confident enough to mount the big feet. And so I put him in there for a few days, and he spent all that time wedged between a little, uh, you know, uh, the, the cork and the wall. He found his little wedge, so I think she scared him a bit, right? Um, and so his confidence was not there at all, so she did not allow him to do anything. And she probably even ran him into that space. Um, so confidence again goes, goes really well. Now that same male, right? He's fine with that other small female and in her setup. So I pulled him out of there and it's not like anything was wrong with him where he's sick or something like that. He's now mounting this smaller female, just like normal. So confidence has a lot to do with it and assurance that they're, they're okay. Um, you know, in another instance, I had big Morpheus, which I typically call Big M, and I don't have her anymore because she passed away. Um, but um, uh, I once was using Big Hermes, and he's smaller than her, um, and I put him with her, and he was basically extremely skittish, extremely shy, and she would run him down all over the cage. And I thought it'd just be, uh, okay, he just needs to get used to things and he just needs to get broken in, right? And it was just weeks and weeks went by. And he spent all of his time in a cork tube. And even when I tried to feed him, if she came close, he was dropping the food. Um, so, yeah, man, confidence has a lot to do with getting them to be comfortable together in the in the, in the closure, okay? Um, so if you feel like, this is something you want to try. I always tell people, fucking run it. 
do it. Like test it out, see if it'll work. You know, um, right. I also tell them what, what can happen badly, and they can they can make the choice themselves. You know, I don't want to just throw people into the the fire all blindly and everything like that. But you know, they will have to test it out and see how it is with their specific animals. You know. <clears throat> So and and you decide too what your goal is and in in a sense, kind of a controversial issue is to that degree, you're kind of playing God. Um, there's going to be the people that say you're responsible for this animal, and you need to treat it the best that you can. That means protecting it from everything. Um, you have to make that decision for yourself. For me, I've made the decision that. My goal is to have these animals reproduce. You'll get into the argument that, you know, you're a puppy mill, blah, 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 blah. That's the only goal in life. Um, but I would rather see captive bred Dorianus, especially with the laws changing everything. I would rather see those animals available to the hobby, learn the bumps and um, take the take the bumps and bruises so that in the future you can be the resource to help the people that are coming along. You can provide uh, information because you went through it. Somebody's got to be first. All right. We, you know, act, there's a lot of people now that can pop out Ackies within a year, uh, their first time keeping monitors because of the information that's out there. But somebody had to do it first. Um, and a lot of things that go with this is like Kai's talking about dividers, talking about building a cage, especially around a pair if you want to breed it, uh, build a cage around the female and um, and her needs. And the male, you know, he can just exist in her world. But the hide situated in a way where she can stay hidden and reach up temperatures that she needs to operate, um, possibly in a hide that a male can't fit into if he's larger. Um, so, you know, different ideas, things like that that you can use. Um, but then again, you have to, you know, you have to also be ready, have a good vet or vets, as I just recently learned, on um, on call, so that yeah. when things do go wrong, you have those in place too. I mean, don't just, you know, uh, total rock and roll and balls to the wall, so to speak. Uh, be prepared for what could happen, the inevitable. Be set up so you can do the best you can. Um, yeah, man. Uh medicines medicine yes oh man uh here I'll, I'll grab you an arsenal of my stuff i'll be right back all right, yeah, I have it right here. getting more strict these days too it's not as over the counter anymore no so while kai's getting that i'll i'll say this real quick so i just had a um a black tree monitor uh she somehow broke her arm there's no bite marks on it um but it's it's swollen to about four size the uh, four times the size it should be. Um, plus, because the, the movement or lack of movement, it could just be from pain, but it looks like there's some nerve damage. Um, so my guess is that she actually stuck her arm in something and then freaked out. It was wedged into That's something. It jumped, twisted it around maybe uh, once or twice and caused not only a break, but the nerve damage in there. Um, but the problem was my vet, the one I usually use, uh, a month to, to six weeks out for an appointment. Of course, an infection could kill a monitor in that amount of time. Easy. Um, so now I have to go find another vet. And I did. It was a 24-hour emergency vet. And believe me, when I told him I had, I was coming in with uh, – I was actually taking two monitors in. But when I tell him I'm bringing in black tree monitors, you know, 
the the sound on the phone, the look in their eyes when I showed up. Um, they didn't. They hadn't seen one before. So now I'm in a position where I don't necessarily have a reptile vet to use right away when something goes wrong. So what am I going to do? What am I going to plan for? Um, I went in there and, you know, not to get them in trouble, but because of the COVID regulations, but um, I, I had to explain some things. I had to be right there. And now a vet knows an animal. It, it can see a situation. It knows um, like uh, pain medicine, the general, uh, the general yeah. stuff that relates to everything. It, exactly. So, uh, but I had to say, no, no, I can't actually use that one. That can have these negative effects this way. Um, so can you prescribe this? So now, uh, fortunately, I was able to make a connection with another vet or a vet office. The doctors do change in there, but working with the staff, uh, you know, we made some notes in a file for, for, because I, I signed myself in to this thing. So now um, kind of on a basis where I can ask, I still going to pay the, the fee to bring an animal in, but I can say, hey, what about this medication? Can I get some of this? Can I bring some home extra? Because as Kai said, it's hard, or you were saying, Grant, it's hard to get right now. Um, some of the stuff I've had on hand, but because of the way COVID changed the world with things, it's not not easy, and other laws, it's not easy to get a hold of any. Um, not that it was, but much harder now. So, you know, set up for these type of things. Have them uh, ready to go. Have uh, even syringes might be hard to get if you have to administer medication with syringes. Um, syringes are hard to get now because we're yeah. addicts. Right. So I joke sometimes about going down to San Francisco, <laughs> picking up a stack of free ones uh, out on the street. Not the used ones, the, the clean ones. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, bringing those back. <laughs> clean so, ones on the street? <laughs> no, 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 no. They, well, yeah, there's there's the clean use uh, needle. I, I don't I won't get political with all that, but, you know, I, I, I don't put that uh, outside of the, the realm of possibilities for me. For the animals, I'll make the drive and I'll uh, do what I have to to get some uh, syringes if I need them. <laughs> So have you two familiarized yourselves with a few of the medications then for these reptiles? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to break yeah. it down for you right now. So this is the one you're going to want. Right. Basically, I keep them in the freezer, but, you know, you can store them somewhere somewhere cool. Um, trying to get this thing out of here. But it's just the, the typical one with the the needle at the tip, okay? Um, you can see it. Yep. This goes um, into the, the, this goes into the arm muscle, the front arm muscle. But uh, if you were to put it in the, the, the back leg muscle or the tail muscle, it's also okay. But it works much better in the front arm muscle. Okay. Um, real, real never quick. do it by yourself. Yeah, real quick. Um, so the people that can't see what Kai's doing, it's basically... Imagine a, um, a diabetic needle or uh, what you use for insulin. insulin yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I recommend you never do this by yourself unless like your animal is like strapped down or something like that, but that's very rare, right? Um, and um, you're you know going by the weight in the medication or a, or a, or a lesser 
a lesser um, estimation. Okay, I wouldn't ever go higher. Um, and then what you're, you're utilizing, you're going to be asking your vet for at home antibiotics for when you need to treat stuff. Okay, um, they should be able to suggest something for you or for your possible problems, you should be able to explain it and they should be able to give it to you. A lot of times it'll have to be something will have to actually need it for them to subscribe it to you at home. Not all the time do they just be like, all right, I'll, I'll give it to you, whatever. It's It's got to be for something. So um, a lot of medications that you mentioned before aren't available over the counter anymore or at your regular CVS or anything like that. So you have to kind of really navigate or have something that needs the prescription. Okay. So now um, getting into the antibiotics, there's quite a few, so we won't really get into that um, this episode, but we can definitely get into it later on. And it, all of them are quite different and it'll really just be what, is for the specific needs and the strength and everything like that. If something's not working, maybe they'll try a different one. Um, so that 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 varies. But you know, you want to utilize something like this and you enter into the muscle. Okay. All right. Now, um, now we'll get into some of the very useful stuff, but they're not exactly um, medicine in a way. They're more of a a vitamin or a natural gut healer or something that helps externally okay so first we'll have we're gonna do treating illnesses and all that stuff first and then we'll treat um it uh like gut gut health all right so i have silver cream okay and typically doesn't always come like this it'll come in a little squeeze thing but sometimes they give it to you like this right and i have a few jar of these now um, I, I actually give some away sometimes, but uh, the, it goes a long way. And this is like a few dollars from the vet. It's called uh, Sulfasilvadine, I believe. Um, magic cream. And it is Silvadine cream, 1%. Okay. So this is very, very useful cream. What is uh, What's available is also silver cream type gel. That really doesn't work, and it's kind of um, washed out, or yes, uh, it's just it's it's doesn't really work that well. And it is over the counter, and it's supposed to be something like this, but it's a gel that just slides off your animal, so it doesn't really work. This is kind of like a paste, so it sticks on a lot better. All right. Now, in a pinch, does a triple antibiotic just work? What was that? I said, in a pinch, could you use something like Neosporin? I wouldn't. Um, you can use regular. Also, you can use plain old Neosporin a little bit, right? It should be okay. But honestly, this is to help with burns. It can help with wounds. It'll help with scarring. Um, now, okay, if you have a physical wound, that's like a I'd say if it's infected, right, and it's a big cut, right, um, what you're going to be doing is removing the plaque and uh, inf infected thing that's right there, and you have to keep that dry. And you can use iodine or betadine mixed with water, okay, and that'll be treating physical wound. Um, and then keep it dry. 
So that's that's the thing with this. If you put too much of this as well, it can also have a reverse effect by holding in moisture. So if I had a wound, I'm going to be applying a very thin, so I can still see the wound, but there's a very thin layer of this. That's all you need. You don't need to take it off. Okay? So the next thing would be, let's say, gut health. Oh, real quick, before you go to gut health, I have used um, Neosporin on superficial bites, cuts, whatnot. Um, the way that I've done it usually is if I think it has a potential to go south, I'll clean the animal um, with one of the things, either one that Kai just mentioned, um, beta knee I have on hand. Um, so usually clean off the wound. I have then... Um, to separate the animal. Now, knowing this, th this is an animal that's in good condition from the start that just got a wound somehow. Um, I have put Neosporin on that, um, uh, that wound, put the animal into basically a snake rack on a sterilized um, paper towel, you know, a sterilized container. And um, with the spot that they can get to, that's around 87 degrees on one side of the tub. And, and for me, you know, I'm just going to say that this has worked. So I go in there after a day. I have, I then clean it off because I don't like how I was getting into. I don't want that stuff staying on there. I want the wound to then dry out. Um, but it's just, I've used it like that as a preventative measure. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, controversial or not, I've also used super glue to close up. Liquid bandage is basically super glue as well. Um, now, it, might be uncomfortable for them. I've used super glue on myself too. <laughs> yeah. It does work. Um, you know, on, on monitor cuts from I've, I've used super glue on backs of my hands and stuff. Um, it's basically a, a, like a chemical suture, I guess you can almost say. Um, and it closes that, that wound area. So um, it does work. That's all I'll say about it. Uh, you can choose to use it or not, or the listeners out there for the right instance, right application. Um, you know, but if you have a, a healthy, otherwise healthy monitor, uh, I've slapped some of that on there and, um, let the animal go. And once it, it kind of dries on top, um, dirt doesn't get in and, you know, they usually shed it out in a couple sheds. Uh, you might have yeah, a little star depending on what it. I can recommend also that speeds up the process, but it may be a pain in you, right? You basically uh, do what Alan kind of suggested, where you keep the that whole animal in a bear setup, right? Mm -hmm. I, if an animal is wounded, right, it can be in soil, but the soil can't be wet and moist at all. It's dry as dry as dirt. It's super dry. Okay. Yeah. Um, the leaf litter is on top of it to add extra amount of dryness and cover. Um, but it basically keeps them from getting that wound wet. The big water bin has been removed. So if you have a large water access, you have a hard time healing wounds if they spend a lot of time in the water. Mm -hmm. So if you have a wound and it regularly gets it wet again, basically keeps it infected or keeps it from healing. So I then only apply a little bit of a water dish so it can have something to drink and then i'll spritz it around the mouth if i need to make sure but other than that everything is kept very dry and no access to dipping in the water 
So if you, again, if you have a large water bin, take it out, put in a little cup, and that's all they get until the wound has healed over and there's now white scar tissue. Okay. Um, so if for anybody that's listening and you end up with a cage injury from getting somewhere or all of a sudden your animals got, you know, this uh, infection underneath that you're looking at, you didn't notice, or it, it bit it, it got bitten or whatever, right? And you have this now infection, you have to basically keep the animal very dry for it to heal well enough. Okay. Um, now, getting back to where are we at? Gut health, right? All right. So I've recently had a, I've actually had a couple of times, but I've used it with this now, um, where a mangrove monitor basically just won't eat. And she stopped eating a whole lot um, or would eat and then regurgitate. So um, I, I didn't really know what was going on. I felt like the heat and everything like that was, was fine. Um, but yeah, the animal ended up just regurging a few times for, I think I say three weeks. I don't feed a lot within that three week time. So it was really only about three or four regurges, but it, it ate and then threw it back up. So um, yeah, it wasn't really pretty. Um, and I had to figure out what was going on because this is one typically very vigorous eating female. All right. Um, and so I really didn't have time to go to the vet yet. And also my vet is pretty packed. So that's another reason why I have um, stuff at home mm-hmm. so I can take care of myself, you know. Um, but uh, this Benabact here and also this Nutribac, which is basically a very similar thing, but more just for reptiles, bird and reptile Benabact is basically the same thing with birds and reptiles their medicine is very similar and interchangeable within them within the species of animals and so you should be able to utilize them for for both if you find a bird one um and you can't find the reptile one or whatever okay um, i haven't used this nutribac yet because i bought this benabact and it came in the mail first so i used this one but it's practically the same thing with very much the same ingredients okay um so it's beneficial bacteria for the gut, and it's uh, essentially a thing that you can't overdose on, or it's going to be very hard for you to overdose on, right? So you can use this. Um, I don't use a ton of it. I only sprinkle it on like in, in their egg food that they like, right? So I kind of blend it in with stuff. Um, you can add a little bit with your calcium dust and add it into that with whatever you're utilizing. Is it a powder? Um, it's a little powder, yeah. So um, you can add it into water and get it into the animal's mouth with water. Um, but a, a little bit goes a long way, too, was what I experienced with this, okay? So I just took, uh, I think, like a couple grams or something like that, um, put it into oh, uh, an egg and water mixture, and I just syringed it. I used a pipette, not, not, a, not, not one of these, okay? I used a pipette. And I just got it into its mouth. A pipette will help out a lot because it's soft. So you can kind of get it into the between the, to- the, the, the the gums without damaging and hurting the mouth so much. And then once you wiggle it right here, the animal will open its mouth. And that's its, your chance to get the thing into its mouth and squeeze at the same time. Okay. Um, do this. Allow the animal to thoroughly drink afterwards and uh, wash it down. 
and you should be okay with this a couple times in the week for a couple weeks if your animal isn't showing better signs already within that time then you have to probably do more and get it checked out even more okay so um i had an animal bounce back within days of using this so it i still no longer feed her a crazy amount just right now so we're doing uh, more frequent smaller meals just so she doesn't go through and throw up again and we're slowly building back her her gut health okay it's not something that'll just be fixed like that all right and so she's hungry. I know she is because she's charging the glass again, but I'm just going to be feeding her bits and bits and bits and going with that. All right. Awesome. So this, uh, I'm going to check that stuff out too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good to have in your arsenal of, of medicine and stuff to do at home. So, you know what? It's like 20 bucks. You know? Yeah. Shoot, why not? Right. Um, okay. This next one is uh, done by. Um, I hate to say his last name is Da Vinci, but it's the, the, the Da Vinci Miracle oh, yeah. Sauce, okay? This uh, is by Da Vinci Boa. Um, I, I totally forget his first name, but his first name is Richard. I forget his last name, but if you ask me, I'll send it to you. But it's Da Vinci Boa is the company, okay? And they have this, um, well, it's a miracle vitamin or whatever it is. It's basically great for after animals have laid <laughs> i just realized it's literally snake oil but it works but it's for snakes but reptiles <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's for it is you know uh, john uses it for uh, john at sim uses it for animals after they've laid and they don't you know get back into gear right away um i've used this in addition with the benedict my last round which i was talking about right and so i added this with that mixture with the water um and really it's just to to help the animal get back it's it's juices appetite stimulant all that stuff and so in, in a way it may it may have some of this stuff in it but it's got uh just i guess rich with vitamins and so um you can't overdose on this as well you can drink this and not die you personally can drink this and not die. Um, so you should be fine with this as far as usage. Um, but you may have to get the weights down on this as well and go with that, all right? Um, as far as my other arsenal stuff, um, I have the iodine, betadine. So you, you'll be utilizing that with water. You know how to use, you know how to use that, right? Um, so, yeah, man, that's pretty much it. Silver cream, bag stuff, multivitamins for the gut. And then um, the the antibi the, the actual antibiotics that stays in the freezer. Yeah, yeah. I would um for me other than what Kai said, I'm gonna check out some of the digestive stuff. I have some other uh, like vitamin products. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I might have a couple other random stuff that I have sitting here that I only use during dire need times, and it's yeah. like I don't, I don't really come to those all the time anymore. Oh, um, oh, uh, the blue spray. Uh, Nerd uses this a lot, and I had some ordered. I don't know. I don't. I don't. It's actually been like ten days. So, um, what is it? Blue it's, spray? Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a is that like chlorhexidine spray or something. No, it's actually a. 
it's like a spray paint and you spray it over the wound and it protects it and it's also oh okay it's yeah, using uh cattle and agriculture a lot actually it's an antibiotic yeah. yeah yeah and um nerd nerd uses that for any of their big wounds and it helps a lot <laughs> they said um i have some ordered that i wanted to use for my big wounds as well yeah um, but I, I just wanted to have it on hand my my keeping them dry and everything like that seems to be helping really well but you know sometimes you i've know, used that spray before in the past it does work also yeah so how do you come with that ultrasound device uh man so i have to get another probe that's bigger i think the small probe that i have it's uh it's only good for like hamsters or something like that you know little tiny things so um yeah i just uh i have to order the bigger probe for larger animals but really when i'm doing it man i have to have like three two other people helping me i have to hold the animal because no one else can really hold it that well right and you got to hold it like in an odd way where you have to use both hands and um and then you know someone's utilizing the down the actual uh, probe, right? And then another person to hold the unit and then press buttons to zoom in or or whatever, change sides, uh, change the pixel a little bit. Yeah, it's it's not as easy as I thought. Um, and then also when I do have people helping me, right, and I'm trying to get the visuals down. Bro, they're hard to see. The only thing I can get is like these sort of tubes that are symmetrical in the in the view of the screen, and I'm guessing they're like I don't know. They're 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 important, <laughs> but um, that's that's all I'm really seeing. I'm not really getting a whole lot because it, it's difficult in itself. Um, just the whole, you know, they, they, that's that's why they charge people to go to vet school. Years. <laughs> You know, it's it's not an easy thing at all. Um, so, yeah, I've I, I've, uh, I've had people like Rob and, uh, and and Jake and stuff like that and, and Nerd um, kind of give me a little bit of walkthroughs on what they do. Um, but still, I, I have to have those extra hands helping me with the machine. I'm almost wondering, Kai, if you could use a certain size of PVC pipe that you cut a section out, um, save that piece, put it back over the PVC pipe, send the animal down it. So it can't really go anywhere else. Remove that piece when it's in the general area. I wonder. That sounds if it smarter. Would work. I guess that kind of sounds smarter. But the PVC would need to be where she can't slide anywhere either. Right. Yeah. I wonder you if just, just using that backward pressure, though, holding you know against the tail, pushing her forward, would hold her somewhat steady, or at least yeah. trying to get away from you enough where you could. Um, hmm. It might work. Excuse you a little yeah, yeah. board. Yeah, or throw yeah. it in the freezer for you know a minute. <laughs> I just do don't want to stress them out that much. This is that's the thing is uh, during that time, like, like man, I don't really want to stress you out too much. So I kind of right. give myself a time frame, right? Like, all right, you got a few minutes, get this done within a few minutes, or you have to put her back because it's going to be too you know too stressful. Um, yeah, some of the females are okay. You turn them over, hold them, but but then it still gets hard because you're like, all right. Another couple minutes to see. Let's see if we can find anything. You know, another couple minutes. Yeah, it's not. It's not easy at all. And then you got to replace the petroleum jelly, and yeah, it's, it's a mess too. I'm shocked they don't have like uh, hand buttons on the probe, so you control the screen while it's on the probe. 
they have they have uh, they have um, what do you call that or like that sort of. Um, I just didn't buy that one. Yeah, I think that's the laptop type. Um, yeah, I've looked yeah. at a few. Yeah, they're 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 still costly. I think the cheapest mm-hmm. you can get them is like eight hundred to a thousand bucks, and that's like that's pretty cheap in itself already. Um, but most are like two thousand dollars, twenty two hundred. Some some like that uh, that butterfly. They make you subscribe and pay like a a yearly fee. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no thanks. Um, real quick, back to the medication. Some other things I would recommend for people to do or to have on hand. Um, you know, your common things: Batril, uh, Panicure, uh, Ivermectin, and figure out how to use these things. Um, how, you know, your common antibiotics and dewormers, uh, things that can treat more the protozoas then you're going to get with like panicure understand you know uh panicure is going to knock out some worms but you might also have something that's trickier pinworms um something like giardia um you know then you go into other things that are could devastate your animal crypto uh, other things like that that might be a whole nother game but um be able to realize okay i treated my animal i dewormed the animal maybe um some animals you get in you never notice anything but say you want to send them through a couple rounds of panicure deworm them um this is what i have going on with the black tree right now is that it started losing weight and hasn't gained that weight back even though it is eating so of course that leads me to believe there's more going on so that is another one that went to the vet and uh, I needed to restock medications anyway. So, you know, having that stuff on hand, knowing how they're administered, um, save the websites that you know of or save the information that has these um, amounts listed. Say all of that, uh, anything I found online as far as that and people's experiences, I've saved somewhere. And I was telling you, Grant, while Kai walked away, that this uh, new vet that I might have to use just because I can get in same day as long as I'm waiting out there. Um, they actually asked me to keep them updated on things, um, let them know how things are going, give them back the information and the results. And so I kind of made a commitment to them. If they helped me out a little bit with some things that I'll continue bringing animals to them, uh, for certain things so they can build up the experience as well, uh, with working with more exotic things and, uh, promising to actually get back to them and give them the results, maybe even bring the, the animals back in, uh, since I can weigh the animals myself, giving them weights, you know, cause we have an initial base weight, um, to chi- kind of judge, okay, is this animal gaining back weight? Um, things like that. So, um, keep those things on hand, find, a good vet or two or three, just in case you can't get in. Um, keep some <clears throat> needles if you need them on hand. Um, make sure you're not scrambling afterwards for this stuff. Cause <clears throat> there's certain instances where you could have an animal go downhill real fast. So if you have the ability to get ahead of this, please do. And even giving shots, like Kai said, um, you could actually administer, I might get myself in trouble with some of the vet folks out there, but you can administer some things like uh, liquid calcium um, in small doses and just get familiar with something that's not going to really hurt your animal. Okay. But just get familiar with giving your animal shots uh, in the arm. Um, other things, you know, alternating the front arms, if you have to keep giving shots, um, trying to think of other things that are just 
kind of on that general side. Uh, but also, as much as I say general side, have a vet ready. Have a vet. Even if they're not reptile vet, um, have somebody on board where you can get your animal to. Um, you know, any almost any vet can take x-rays if you need that done. Uh, they can also, the biggest thing, prescribe medications. Um, <clears throat> okay, I think I beat that topic down. So. <laughs> yeah, man. Now, before we, you guys end this off, uh, I want to have it known and congratulate Kai on hatching out that coli. Yeah, go Kai. ahead, Kai. Kai, give it, give it to everybody. Tell them all. Uh, you already posted it, so. Yeah, first ever in the United States. Kai is smiling right now, people. Okay, probably sorry. second, probably <laughs> second in the world. Um, I was able to hatch out some or one Varanus coli, which is a species I've been working with. They're like a Kai Island mangrove monitor. They're just anybody that doesn't know, they're just a pretty mangrove monitor. That's all. They Absolutely are. gorgeous monitor. Yeah, they've got a lot of variables of blues and lime greens and bright yellows, uh, black, a lot of peach and uh, and uh, off white ivory type of belly pattern. Yeah, I have an exanthic type blue looking one. I have one that's in between, and then I have. Uh, the typical black and yellow with uh, blue sides. So they're mm -hmm. all, they're all really gorgeous animals. Yeah, they're um, not newly described, but newly reclassified as Varanus coli. So they're named after Michael Cole. If people want to look up, Michael Cole is from Ballroom Pythons, and he is one of the pioneers in our game. So. Um, yeah, thanks to Michael Cole for uh, making these animals and bringing these animals available, bringing them in and making them available for me in the United States. Um, out of all the monitors that I've kept, or all of them that I've seen, um, these have had to be one of my favorites just to look at, right? Um, I, uh, you know, John and um, and Jody Piper and uh, people from Indonesia would post pictures. And they're a little bit different. They, they they have these huge spots on their back, not like Salvadori, but um, you know, in their right in their in their own right, very very pretty. Mm -hmm. and so um, I fell in love with them probably like two thousand two, two thousand three. Mind you, I was only like you know in high school then. Um, so yeah, man, I, I know I had maybe like middle school, you know. Um, and seeing uh, seeing John post these things up on forums and and things like that before we had you know before we had Facebook and before we had things like podcasts and stuff like that. So um, yeah, now it's uh, now I have these animals and they're uh, they're my they're part of my projects and my pets and um, what is it? Uh, they are helping me define how to produce these other harder monitor lizards um you know basically the work that i do um does show results um and it's a lot different from what other people are sort of doing with their with their indicus types and um you know for anybody that's listening that is already doing like melanis or they have peach throats or whatever you have right um I'm willing to branch out to you guys and help you guys just like, you know, we're doing with Grant here um, where I won't be doing the work for you, but I'll be helping you 
basically go through and dissect everything with you. So in a way, you'll be doing it. I'm just kind of guiding you along and telling you, sure, this may work or this may not work or some things we'll have to see through. Um, yeah. But yeah, the connection with uh, with networking, you know, I learned this from my own, like my friends growing up and stuff like that, where um, I've seen people do something cool like like this, right? And then basically keep it to themselves and, um, you know, then kind of box out everybody else, right? Um, for me, what I've learned is networking is probably the greatest tool on how we get these animals to do better. Um, you know, not just what we do with this podcast, um, but, you know, what we do on the, the, the quick questions and the small conversations that we have a millions of, you know, between all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so between me and Cody Joe or or Charlie Bates in Australia, um, Cody Joe's in Canada, uh, or like Arga and Hero in uh, Indonesia. Um, what I'm really trying to do is just work with everybody that's in the same complex, and it can it can be other species too, like Niles or whatever. Is I'll help you out. You know, um, we're looking for um, people that are willing to do what I'm doing, uh, willing to test their boundaries a bit on what they know and what they can um, work out with their animals, hopefully to get better results if you haven't been getting good results already. And I can say that most people aren't getting good results because there's none available like that in the United States. So, you know, when, when we're trying to get to saving females from dying so much, um, let's say if these bands and stuff do go through, we won't be seeing these animals anymore. Um, so, <coughs> asked out as a whole hobby for awesome animals um and so yeah man getting to getting back to you know everybody congratulating me on these uh coli no we're this is just the beginning this is basically cracking it making sure that i'm breeding these the same way i'm breeding solomon island um it's very similar not not too much different but there are some differences that i have to change and um yeah i've had to learn you know automatically oh man we've got a good minute left so you want to close out what's that two two hours oh Oh, yeah what was the cook time on the egg oh 170 okay 170 days yeah 170 man so oh man i hope it doesn't uh is it is it closing us out did you see that sign no you saw something i didn't see anything yeah to me it says this thing is timing out and so and so and i said i'm still here so i I don't know why i did that but okay oh yeah all right cool so um yeah man i've been uh basically just uh, working on this project slowly slowly but surely i get better and better results you know more and more females laying difficult stuff breeding like i had to threaten to sell that guy just so that way he started breeding (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was literally Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope I get another male so that way I can raise it to be a more functional breeder. The other one is he's just so nuts. Yeah, he's hard to work with sometimes. I love him and he's a character and he's kind of scary, but um, yeah, he's like I don't even touch him, you know. And he's just he's just nuts. Um, okay, yeah, I, I didn't see any message, but I'm afraid of this cutting us off. It's still recording right now, so... Um, I think it's okay. I think it was asking me if I was still here or not. I don't know. Oh, I see, I see. Like you hadn't touched yeah. the computer in a bit? Okay. 
Yeah, because, I mean, man, we're already at two hours, but there's so much going on. You were mentioning the ban. For the people that don't know, there's a uh, bill that has the possibility of passing that could basically, uh, from what I understand, um, limit the the species that we can own, uh, interstate travel, basically, or selling to another state, uh, as well as the ability of the federal government to straight out just ban animals uh, as they see fit um without any other kind of like research going into it uh so um you know it, it's causing people to kind of freak out a little bit um if you're not a member of us arc go become a member of us arc you can do it for five dollars a month um to protect the the hobby um the people that are over there fighting for these things that even look through a three four thousand page document a bill that should have nothing to do with animals that you know these these different groups um special interest groups that get in with different lobbyists and whatnot um this is how they get some of the support just out there from a large group to support the bill to push it through for the stuff they want to push through but a lot of times when these people add themselves to a bill they got to get their little piece of something added to it and in this instance it's this um devastating uh addition of Basically, you know, was that Grant? It was the Lacey Act amendments. It's the amendments the Lacey, the Lacey Act. Right. It, it was coming through a little weird on the, the audio there. Um, but uh, that's exactly it. And so um, while one should have nothing to do with the other, the intent of the bill that could be, you know, a really good bill otherwise, the CARES Act, whatever it's about, um, there these this group says, okay, you'll have our support. Throw this in there. And, um, you know, then it gets attached to this bill. I sometimes wonder if these bills are really like 100 pages, but there's so many special interest groups that then a bill gets up to 3,000 pages. I don't know how that works exactly, um, but it's kind of eye-opening. Um, so become a member, reach out to, go on to US Arc's website. If, if you haven't heard of this yet, go onto their website. They'll have a lot of information about this and how to actually reach out to the right people to voice your concern, voice your opinion. Uh, I think they have a list for all the states on who you can contact. Um, so please do that because um, otherwise you're not going to get any Kai Island monitors from Kai. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be all here in California. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, other than that. Um, Is this supposed to be uh, going through it in a few days or something like that? No, no. It's still some weeks off uh, or actually I think months off from it actually going through, but it's, it's not to meet on it. I think in about two weeks. Okay. And then, so it's going, it's past the house. Now it goes to the Senate. Um, So they have to decide on it. Um, But yeah, you know, there's a lot of people gearing up for this. Um, I would encourage people if it's within your possibility, not only to donate to us art, but to maybe, um, don't sit on the fence if there's something you really want. And it, this isn't just reptiles. Uh, birds, fish are involved in all this stuff. So if there's something that, you know, you might want, might want to get into, mm, I would hate to see people out there, you know, kind of um, gouging prices in fear of uh, this going into effect. Um, but on both sides, for the keepers, get out there, try to get the animals you want to work with maybe so you can get ahead of it. Um, for the breeders, please don't price gouge people because um, I might be trying to buy some stuff too. Um, but, you yeah, know, just you, know you, the game's going to change a little bit. 
Right. But you do have the responsibility, I think, as a breeder to get animals into the right hands so that people can keep them going. Um, Because, you know, even if it passes, I don't see it being the end of the fight. Okay, Uh, I see there being um, lawsuits, appeals, whatever, to overturn these type of things. Uh, But that might take several years to do. Okay, Um, so, you know, I I would protect yourself as best as possible. Um, You have to imagine if something like this also went through um, stuff that's regularly available at pet stores might not be available anymore. Cause it's, there's just no business for it really. Um, now out here in California, I have a feeling people are still going to have bearded dragons and leopard geckos. So you're going to be able to get your, you know, some stuff like that, but we're talking monitors. We're talking more specific things. Um, you might have to become part carpenter, electrician, uh, make things work, you know, get a colony of roaches going, maybe several different species. Um, start thinking in these ways, just, um, think outside of the pet trade industry and what's commonly available and look into what you can do um, from Home Depot, from um, other places to accomplish what you need to take care of your animals. Have those kind of researched and so you're not freaking out if something like this were to pass. Um, With that being said, if you're not a member of US ARC and they have any sort of lawsuit, you're not protected by their lawsuit because you're not a member of them. So if you want to be protected by their lawsuit, you have to be a member of them. Very right. I know that came up in the past with, I think it was Retix, right? Um, Where the people that were members could actually still do business with Retix where everybody else couldn't until that was overturned. Um, So yeah, get on there. Like I said, $5 a month, um, $60 a year. Um, This is to protect your, yourself, uh, to protect the, the hobby. Uh, and our right to keep and breed the animals we love. Um, you know, this would devastate shows um, to a large degree. Um, well, I don't know, you know, it, and it would promote black market type of stuff or illegal dealings on reptiles, which is sad. Uh, you know, not only reptiles, but uh, like I said, birds, fish. Um, so just something to consider, something to look into. Uh, other than that, I guess, as we prepare, um, I guess I'll say I've had some good and bad luck in the, the last couple of weeks. Um, I had that, that animal that broke its arm. Um, another unfortunate thing happened. I'm not ready to share yet because it's heartbreaking. I told Kai, but, uh, <laughs> no, I can't. It's still too hard. This one's too hard, man. Uh, Alan's sucking at life right now. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of devastating. But on a good note, I uh, did get another clutch of Kimberly eggs uh, today as before I got onto the show, um, which is great to see. So her first clutch was four eggs, all good. This clutch was seven eggs, all good. Um, so they're rocking and rolling. They're kind of hitting that like um, they're almost like little factories. Well, I'll be uh, bothering you for one of them, too. <laughs> there'll be plenty i'm sure um the the ackies are going i think the stand monitors are going and then um unfortunately there's a guy uh i've mentioned him a few times he's getting out of monitors just where he's at in life and i can't fault him for it you got to take care of yourself and your family first um but on the other side of that i'm getting the stimulus um project back 
uh, over to me. So hopefully I can make something happen and, uh, you know, get some, some Verona Similis back out there. And, you know, recently I think they were even reclassified. So I have to find out what their actual name is right now. Um, I wonder if they're going to be called Scalaris. I think that's it. I think uh, a part of the Scalaris, which is, um, yeah. Th- so there's Small a few island th- Indonesian monitors. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll find out. Too. Like this yep. Whole- Yep. It's whole from Indonesia to those other small Micronesian islands to Australia. Right. Yeah. But I love them. They're they're really cool. So I hope to get them back. Yeah, we'll we'll close it out. Grant, thanks for coming on. Um, Grant, where can people find you? Uh I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook, uh Grant McAdow, uh Instagram G McAdow. Uh, mainly post a lot of my reptiles on Instagram, and then as far as Facebook, it's just memes. Gotcha. Kai? Uh, you, you can find can over find Kyle list. Jr. <laughs> you, guys will, uh, you guys will find me on um, Facebook mostly. I am also on Instagram as uh, big underscore lizard 103. Um, I'm on YouTube as Mangrove Mecca. Uh, it's Mangrove and uh, M-E-C-C-A. Um, and yeah, I'm most responsive on Facebook, although I do use Instagram quite a bit too. If you're not a Facebooker and you, you like the privacy of Instagram, you can also message me there. Alan, what about you? Me, you can find well, you can find me here on Facebook under Origins Reptile, uh, and then on Instagram under Origins underscore Reptile. Um, and either platform, I'll get back to you if you have a question or something. Uh, I don't mind helping out at all. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, you know our podcast, Monitor Keeping Podcast, is under the uh, Morelia Python Radio Network, and so. That's another thing, you guys. If you're interested in reptiles, check out their website, MoreliaPythonRadioNetwork.com. Um, you can see all their different podcasts, and they just keep growing. So if you're into something, there's probably a podcast on there for it. From rat snakes to turtles. Uh, I got to see if the turtle one's up yet, actually. <laughs> but either way, uh, really, really fun topics on there. Great hosts, uh, having some great guests. You can learn a lot no matter what kind of animals you're keeping. So uh, check out their store as well. They got some merchandise on there. Also ways to um, – there, there's some behind-the-scenes stuff you can see, not necessarily for me and Kai, but uh, for some of the other hosts on there if you become a Patreon uh, and subscribe to that. So check them out. You can also email them over at uh, Morelia Python Radio. Um if you have other questions and really check it out. It's a great resource and really some great people. So thank you guys for listening. Went a little, but uh, Grant, Kai, have a good right. one. See you guys later, Enjoy. man. It was, it was nice talking to you guys.